Hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of Tabletop Theater. Last time, we left our heroes in a tumultuous moment. Ordered by righteousness, the party goes to execute the culprit of Pride's assassination. However, the target turns out to be the Angel Charity. Despite their reservations, the party fulfills the mission, slaying Chas's childhood hero in the process. Now the party, seeking answers after this scarring encounter, seeks the wisdom of an oracle. We rejoin our heroes as they exit the Golden City on horseback. As you exit the city, you are surrounded by vagabonds of all sorts, the poor and oppressed people outside of the city who have been pushed out. And as you do so, Siegfried, leading your company, you know, produces from his breast pocket large sums of money, you know, the salmon-colored cash that you all have. And he, very, he, ha- he hands out these bills, you know, one at a time, and he's quickly being swarmed by these throngs of people. And eventually, you know, it, it, it almost becomes mob-like in people's desperation to get some money. And eventually, the metallic statues, which have been going about the cities, are arriving on the scene and forcing people to disperse, allowing you passage. You continue your journey. It's been unlike other ones, kind of like how the Nightingale Watch first started out, traveling place to place, living in tents, kind of roughing it. Appreciating the more tense situation that you've all been in, the other members of your party, the other members of your party, Brock, Hildy, and Robin, have been trying to lighten the mood Brock, for once, has taken time away from praising himself to play music that more people enjoy and has been content to not sing as much. On one such night, we find him playing just his acoustic guitar in the evening, and you're sitting there, Lola, just enjoying a bit of tea before you tuck in. And then you hear a noise in the distance. A bird. Brock asks, What was that? Never heard anything like that before. And you hear the noise again. It's a nightingale, dearie. That's what it is, Brock. Almost called by the song of the bird, Siegfried, who has been reclusive these past few days, emerges from his tent and walks towards you both. Brock says, Well, uh, I gotta go. (laughs) And he gets up unceremoniously and uh, dashes off to his tent. Siegfried walks towards you and sits down across from you, and he smiles, as he always does. Hmm. Isn't that a shame that he left? He was playing so well, too. Siegfried says to you, <laughs> Yes, I, I suppose you're right. It's uh, always nice to have Brock being quiet for once. <laughs> yeah, he does play quite beautiful music, and uh, if he le- learns to think... If he learns to think about others more than himself, just once in a little while, he really is quite charming. <laughs> it means a lot coming from you, Lola. <laughs> I suppose. I've known quite a few cads in my lifetime. Yeah, that Philip seemed like quite the charmer. Yup. Do all of your ex-suitors try to kill you, or is it just the one? <laughs> um, well, just the one so far. But yes, I've known several cads in my life. Well... You're not one of them. I appreciate you saying that, Lola. I'm, I know these past few days have been hard. It's been hard for me, too. And I've been thinking about what I... What we originally set out to do, and I wondered if it was really what we're doing anymore. I wonder that too. It has been a difficult few days, Siegfried. You see what, as we left the city, what it's like, it's why we started, to help people like that. I just Show feel... mercy. It is our mission, or at least it was, to show mercy, to show charity to the outcasts of this world. Lola, I don't think what we're doing is lost. I think I think we're finally going to get the guidance we need. We're going to get the answers we need from the Oracle. I really feel this will put us back on track. You do? With all my heart. Lola gazes at him for a few minutes, listening to the nightingale in the woods surrounding us. And I just... I'm sorry. I certainly hope so. I still have faith in you, in the, in the watch, 
it's just, it's getting harder already. The two of you sit there as the embers die down, contemplating where you are now. In the following days, the rest of the party has been trying to cheer you all up. One of these occasions is between Brock and Chosh. In the middle of this conversation, Lola begins walking in. The conversation is, goes something around like this. All right, Chosh, so here's the deal. All right, I know you got the hots for Hilding. You don't stop making that face. I can see it under the mask. Don't need to hear it. Now, here's the thing. The secret to a woman like that is to just keep talking and talking, and eventually she'll come around to your point of view. Now, I have a couple of years of experience. I understand you yourself. Young man, handsome, mm. I, I suppose, and... Oh, you have a you have a better idea, huh? Do I? Uh, you know, you may, perhaps as a woman, Josh, I could lend you some more valuable experience. Uh, Brock, exactly. Have you had a serious, committed relationship in the last several years? Any, any, any ever actually? Well, I mean, I don't like to get tied down, you know. It's uh, I think the oh, yes. wealth of experience really speaks for it more than like the quality. Quantity over quality, that's what I say. Now, I and understand of course, I understand what she's saying. Hildy would be only one of thousands, I suppose, for you, Josh, just as Brock is so successful in his pursuits. Well, no, that's what like you a, want. I feel like a lot of words are being put in my mouth here. I don't I don't I don't. <laughs> haven't look, said a single word. Now look, Josh, this is simple, all right? Look, we'll do an easy little thing. Let me give you some advice. First things first, you're gonna go out. We're gonna ask we're gonna plan this out, all right? After you see the Oracle, you're gonna ask Crowd Hildy for a nice little date, okay? I don't you think go- you need to rush into anything at all. Really. I mean hey, you're only young once, so here's the thing. I you mean, go. yes, but you're, you're very young, and yet you have more years of experience to gain. And you, you, Now, do you know how to shit? sing? No. All right, that's going to be a problem, but here's the, here's the plan. I have this extra guitar. I want you to just make the motions of it. I'll remove the strings, and then I'll play guitar from behind a rock. Nobody Won't in the history of anything, nobody ever has learned to play guitar without strings. What are you talking about? Well, I'm, see, I'm going to no play musician, the guitar but in the background. So Hildy will think that he's playing the guitar. That's, well, well, she'll notice the strings. Yeah, won't she be able to see that the strings aren't there? I don't know if you she, noticed. I mean, it's Hildy. I mean, she's a couple apples short of a bushel. Excuse me. I'm Brock, just saying what we're all thinking here. You I, have no apples at all. Yeah, I prefer to think myself They're as They're all rotten. A, I prefer <laughs> to think of myself as a pear man, but that's just me. Oh, uh, what, what would you suggest exactly? How exactly I've is always, Josh supposed to do this? Well, no, Josh. No, no, no. Uh, Josh, please be quiet. I'm talking here. So I, Lola, I compo- Lola composes herself. I say, now, Josh, dearie, I would say, from my years of experience, that a woman favors a man who is inquisitive, who asks questions, who wants to know more about her, not not to, you know, just gaze upon her, not to boast of his accomplishments, but to ask her of her own thoughts and feelings on a variety of matters. So that's what I encourage you to do. Form a, you know, foster a connection with Hildy. I'm sure if you just build up courage one question at a time, you know, one small conversation will go a long way. Well, I've, I've tried that, but I don't know. She doesn't know how to answer my questions. I asked her just just last week about what she thought about Thermomut's interpretation of the second book of Herentius, and she seemed very flustered by the whole thing, and I thought it was a very important theological passage. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so here's the thing. We can plan this out. See, I have a little spell. It's called message. All right? I'm going to send you messages, and you can just repeat the lines that I feed you into the conversation. It's perfect. It's flawless. Josh, you should by no means do that. Let me just give you a little taste. He uh, points his finger at you. He says, he points his finger at you. You, uh, you hear like a buzzing in your, he- in your head as, as you receive the message. Uh, the message says, well, hey there, short stuff. You want to ride with a big man? I at the same time cast message, which I do have as a ketchup. <laughs> and I, I, I don't need to point a finger. What, what kind of stage magician points a figure i i glance at him and i i say through message whatever he's telling you don't listen i'm sorry i i I couldn't hear any of that i got two messages at the same time it was very confusing 
uh, you hear, you get another message from Brock that says, tell Lola to buzz off and that I've got this. Tell Brock that he can get out of your head and out of our lives. Josh is going <laughs> to put his hands to his head and say, guys, please. I'm sorry, dear, so but really that hurts. stop. <laughs> this continues for about an hour or so. <laughs> oh, no. We turn on to Hildy, Robin, and Drifter. Hildy has been following Robin around a lot more ever since their time in the capital together, helping those poor f- souls. At this particular instance, Drifter and and Robin are having a conversation, mainly about shooting. They've kind of lined up a couple of cans and just been practicing their skills. Robin starts off by saying, "You know, I really just don't uh, I just don't understand the appeal of those uh things. So uh, so uncivilized, really." There's an art to, you know, sharpshooting. And there's a definitiveness to a gun. I suppose. I mean, but any schmuck can pull a trigger. Takes a professional. Years of practice to do something like this. I mean, you try this. And then she draws back and shoots uh, not one but two cans straight through. I mean, here, you give it a try. It's pretty It's pretty hard. Why don't you uh, roll? 14. That's actually pretty good. You do a decent job. You're not nearly as adept at her who's had years of experience. But you are, you're able to hit a can. She says, eh, not bad. You got a little talent in you. But, you know, it would take you a couple of years to get as good as me. Yeah, I found I'm going to go with the one that keeps me alive. Suit yourself. Part of the reason you're having this conversation is Hildy. She has noticed in recent events that she's kind of been somewhat defenseless in terms of combat. And you're both trying to sell her on what she should be using. Well, what do you think there, Hildy? You want to try out one of these guns? Um, well, I mean... I'm not exactly the most, uh, well, I'm a little clumsy, but, uh, I'll, I'll give it a shot, I guess, both, and see, uh, what I, what I like. Um, do you have any, uh, pointers, Drifter? I saw you teach those, uh, those swell boys of the SS Malamar that one time, uh, they, I mean, how do they do, I mean, do you got sure, any tips? Sure, sure, no problem. Here's my pointer. Point and shoot. Wow. Amazing instruction manual, Drifter. Truly the greatest artist of our time. When, you know, when I, when I, we were having this philosophical debate about, you know, the qualities of rifles versus, you know, bows. I, I'm really glad that you had such such thorough arguments about the matter. Hildy goes and do you offer your, her your pistol, I suppose? Yeah, I'll hand her a pistol. I'll tell her, you know, make sure, be careful. It got a little kick to it. Make sure you have your feet planted. Um, okay. She kind of plants herself in like a, sort of like how a wrestler would with her feet kind of wide apart. And she points the gun at the uh, can you've set up and she pulls the trigger. The gun goes off and she kind of goes flying backwards. But she does actually manage to hit the can, which is an impressive feat. You know, she's fallen over and she comes, sorry, Robin comes and picks her up. She says, see, she can hardly handle the thing. Now, what she really needs is something that she can actually, you know, something that suits her. You know, she's not, she's not as uh, crass as your weapons, you know. By all means. Um, and he and she kind of goes over and gives her a bow, which is basically the size of her, really. So it's a little hard for her to do this. Um, and she's having a really hard time pulling back the string because she's not that strong. And so Robin kind of goes up behind her and uh, kind of like places her hand on the bow and helps her pull it back through the motions and shoot it. With her assistance, they're also able to hit a can. And, and she says, wow, I, I really did it. Well, impressive work there, Ellie. Can't say I'm surprised. But uh, I, I don't know if I could do that again. It's it's. I don't know if I could do that again. It's pretty it's pretty hard. I I don't really. I mean that was easier, but in a way. But I don't think I'm that strong. Well, I got one more suggestion for you, Hildy. Try this on for size. And Drifter pulls from his boot a uh, he's got a knife strap there, a, a dagger, and he's gonna you know, spin it and and hand it off to her. Try to give this a throw. Um. All right. Yeah, she takes out the knife and she uh, throws it. It sticks first try right in a can, knocks it over, and uh, Robin, you know, claps her on the back. I think we found a winner. <laughs> um, They all just kind of smile. You're welcome to hold on to that if you'd like. Oh, well, thanks, Drifter. So the day finally arrives. You've made it to the Oracle. It's in a fairly nondescript place, just a cave set inside a hill. The area is nice, the green, luscious grass, the nearby trees, and the birds chirping all make it a peaceful area. The only thing that really makes any note that it is even someone living there is that there is a 
curtain over the cave to signify that somebody lives there. It's nearly nightfall. It's nearly nightfall, and the party begins by making a campfire to sit around. Siegfried, do you really think this is where the oracle dwells? I mean, and also, do you think it's appropriate to approach him or her? Yeah, what exactly are we expecting in there? Well, I've heard this is the place. I've only really heard rumors about it. I don't really know what to expect. To be honest, I, to be frank with you, and don't tell Josh this, but uh, I'm not really supposed to be going to this person. What are y'all talking about? Nothing, Josh. <laughs> we um, are in a campfire. How do you say You should really express tent, how you said that. She, yeah. Um, there, you know, th- this is just talking to you two in the course of the day. Speaking of uh, Josh, actually, would you mind um, sending him to my tent? I actually have a little business with him first. Um, please? Um, and he goes back to his tent. Hey, Josh. Josh, dearie, Siegfried wants to speak with you. Just a word in his tent. Okay, let's all go. We'll be behind you. Yes, we shall follow you in, dear. Oh, oh okay. And clump, 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 <laughs> clump, clump, Chosh, Chosh will will walk in. Do and you fo- do you follow Chosh in? God, we, no. well, <laughs> I think we follow him into like in, as soon as the oh, up, up to the flat. <laughs> and the then, I'm sorry. The I'm sorry. Can I ask why the deception here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you were nervous. I'm going along with I it. I want to make you feel happy. Okay, thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we'll, we'll walk up to the uh, drifter mm-hmm. and Lola will walk up to mm-hmm. the tent flap. Part, the, uh, part, part the flaps for him. All right, you see, wow. uh, <laughs> you see, you see Siegfried at his table. You two are gone at this point. You see Siegfried. <laughs> you see Siegfried at his table alone. Uh, you kind of turn around, like where do they go? Um, he's got a nice tent. He's got a lot of doodads from all his years. You know, little trophies he's collected. He has like a map about where you are, where he's kind of been locating where you're trying trying to go. Um, could you just roll a, per- a set perception check, please? 15 plus. What's perception? That's good. That's plenty. Um, as you look about the room, you notice a couple of things of note. You notice that, you know, he's obviously wearing his two artifacts that he's collected, those viscous liquids. And you notice there's something else there that is not usually with him. There's a knife that's kind of on the table. That's not his knife. You recognize it instantly. It's the knife that was used to kill Charity. He didn't return it. It's just sitting there, kind of absent-mindedly there and as as he sees you looking at it he picks it up and he says oh i'm sorry josh i in the hubbub of getting out to see the oracle i forgot to return this i'll i'll, I'll return it as soon as we get back don't worry about it he takes it picks it up sheaths it i sorry i asked you to come here and i'm making you stand josh i i for i've let you had it this past couple of days i just you know been a little absent-minded myself about blades in the matter so so must have you would you I, I know you picked up my sword. Would you mind returning it to me? I appreciate you getting it. He just gestures. He sees you're wearing it at his hilt. I'd yeah. forgotten about it, and, well, that hullabaloo, too. Would you mind returning it to me, please? Chosh, uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll pull it out ever so slightly and then look up at, at Siegfried and say, it really would be a shame if you were to be as forgetful with this as you are with that knife. Yes, I... <laughs> You hear two voices from the time out <laughs> go, oh! <laughs> um, he's, he, 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 smile, he smiles at that. He says, yeah, yes, you're right, Josh. I'm, I don't know what I was, I was, there was a lot on my mind. I'm so sorry. Josh, I'm not the arbiter of diligence like you. I'm only the arbiter of righteousness. These little things like this slip my mind all the time. So sorry. Something you're better at. I mean, so good about rules. So good about remembering things. He just holds out his hand. Would you mind giving that back to me, please? Uh, Josh will pull it out a little more and then stop again and say, I don't understand, Siegfried. You had this for so long. The first time you ever use it is against Sir Frederick and you leave it behind at the scene. I've been struggling with using it, Josh. It's, I don't know. I honestly don't feel worthy to use it at times. You know, do you ever felt like that? Like there's so many eyes on you and that you can't possibly live up to those expectations? Chosh will... He smiles at you knowingly. Yeah. Chosh will take out the sword and uh, sort of slam it on the table and say, it doesn't matter how many eyes are on you. You have to do your job, Siegfried. He kind of collapses in his chair. 
says, Chosh, I don't know how you do it. Really, I really don't. It comes so naturally for you. Obedience and faith. It's so, it's so hard for me to keep doing this. To be like this. You, it's so natural for you. I don't know how I ended up in this situation and you didn't, really. I mean, really. That's what I like about you, Chosh. You really are, really are a dutiful man. You live up to the title. I feel like it's more facade with me with the arbiter of righteousness and all that. But you really are the arbiter of diligence through and through. This is an odd night for you. You actually spend a lot of time with Siegfried. Just talking. Enjoying each other's company. It's getting to be night. You're all sitting around the campfire. In apprehension of going to the Oracle. Siegfried has said, graciously let basically all of you go before him. And he said he'd go last. He says to you, when you go up, uh, there's an expected sort of payment to the Oracle. I don't really know what to expect, but... Some sort of trinket, I'm sure. So, first person up. Does anyone take? want to go first? Uh, Oracle, Smorkle. Uh, Drifter will get up and just start Now hold on there, Drifter. I agree with you. Oracles? Full of crap. Went to an Oracle once, said I'd be happily married by 22. Not true. How old are you, Brock? I'm, uh, I'm 35. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you, Brock? I forgot. I'm a half orc. He's a half orc. <laughs> that means he's like half dead. He's yeah, like, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm getting there. Half alive. Yeah. Hey. Last half told. All right. Hey, hey, thank you. Look, uh, let me go first, okay? You know, it'll be easy. I'll, I'll ch- look, I know oracles. I know fortune tellers. I've been to a lot. I've been to a lot of those kind of houses, you know, you go in with the one woman. And I know a lot about this sort of thing. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to go in. I'll check it out. I'll tell you if it's for real or not. Okay. No, okay. No, okay. It's okay. Don't worry, it's... Brock. Age and beauty before whatever you are. <laughs> <laughs> I got this. He, he, he just kind of pushes you out of the way. Goes I'm going to push against him. Okay, fine. Go. Roll straight. No, please go ahead. Uh, uh, you, go, you can go first. All right. All right. Fine, old man. I guess, you know, why are you so hurry to get a fortune anyway? You're going to be out the door in a couple weeks anyway. Who cares? Couple weeks? Yeah, I mean, look at it. I need work. <laughs> all right. Go on in. I'll yeah. see you on the other side there, Brock. Yeah, I know. I'll warm her up for you. Oh, thanks. Um, Ew! <laughs> I don't expect <laughs> you. You pat you. You push open the curtain and you enter through this cavernous area. On the ceiling are hung with these like strings, little doodads and baubles. You see all sorts: golden watches, little trains, children's toys. Trains? Yeah, like little toys. It seems like people come in here and bring this person something that is precious to them in some way or another, or something personal. You see very odd things, you like pictures of people, you see, you know, just gems, anything like that hanging from the ceiling. You have to like brush this aside like it's overhanging vegetation until you get into a sort of circular alcove. In this area, there's, again, all of these trinkets all over the area. But what's probably the most disturbing is the quantity of eyes in this room. There's jars of pickled eyes, there's a banner of like an eye, and there's a cronish woman over a sort of cauldron it's a black cauldron with a sort of raven claw supported stand and then a bunch of hands sort of support the bowl there's a bubbling liquid there and this crone turns to you and looks at you but she doesn't really look at you because to look at somebody you would need eyes there's like patches of skin over where her eyes would be this person is ancient her skin is grayish and frankly she kind of smells like decay and she kind of points a gnarled finger at you and and then she holds out her hand as, as if expecting payment. What do you give her? Uh, Drifter is going to give her a nice, clean high five. She kind of waves her hand and says, No, no, I need it. Anything, young one, anything. Drifter is going to walk up, compose himself, and take a nice big spit right in her hand. She looks down at her hand with her unseeing, non-existent eyes, and she looks back at you, and she puts her hand over the cauldron, and the drop of it goes in, and she says, It reveals more than you know. And then she gestures to you to look into the cauldron. Just a real apprehensively look inside. You look into the bubbling mess. It just appears to be blackness at first. And then eventually you can see your own reflection there. But it's not really you. It's like a younger version of yourself. You scarcely recognize this person. And then she starts to speak. You will struggle and suffer in your duality of self. One highborn, the other a nameless wanderer. You see an argument between a father and son, and you are both of them 
and neither. The weight of your selfish choice will be borne by your descendants for ages to come. You see your greatest mistake play out again and again, hundreds of times, but by you and your descendants. In the end, your loneliness will be its own punishment, a weight you willingly bear for the sake of others to break the chain. You see your face again. Your ancestral knife divides it in half, showing a young and old version of yourself. But I see a path of what you seek most of all. A lone figure stands facing a crashing tide of inky blackness, yet the figure stands steadfast in opposition. One of purpose that you will find in self-sacrifice. The pool returns to normal. Drifter's going to kind of stagger backward in reaction to this horrific uh, reminder of his of his mistakes he's made and and sprint out the curtain back out of the cave. Uh, Brock just laughs as he sees you out. What, couldn't handle it? <laughs> Easy. He goes in. He's not even in there for a minute. Um, he comes out and he says, that was a load of crap. All she did was laugh for like an entire minute. She didn't even <laughs> read my fortune. <laughs> what did you give her? No, um, you should ask. What did he give her? Dripper's uh, not going to ask anything. Okay, Sorry. what did he give her? Brock, if she didn't give you a fortune, what did you give her in oh, exchange? I, oh, I gave her something. I uh, kind of blushes. He kind of like uh, puts his hand on my shoulder. I gave her a picture of my mother in my locket. Never, nothing. Uh, <laughs> I pointed at <laughs> Hey, shut up. Hey, shut up. Even, even Drifter, who has just seen a horrific scene, is going to give a little smile in the corner of his mouth. You gave your dearest possession for love. <laughs> oh, you fool. He goes and sits down. It's a little harsh. <laughs> he goes and sits down. He's really, he's really mad right now. Um, <laughs> who, who wants to go next? I think Robin should go in next. No, Hildy. I think I, I want. All right. Well, I want a very different person's I, I reaction. I think we should proceed cautiously. You know what? Yes, Hildy. I'm feeling a little bold. <laughs> she goes up, like comports herself, looks at Brock, says, "I can handle it." Um, you sure can. She strides Dr- in. Drifter is going to grab her by the hand before she goes in and say, be careful in there. You'll be fine, darling. Go on in. Best of fortune to you. She smiles at you and she says, no worries. I know how to fight now. She winks at you and she goes in. She's in there for a couple minutes and she kind of comes out looking perplexed. Is everything all right, Hildy? Yes, Hildy. How did it go? Good question. Um, you like pat him on the back. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I eye him and, and, and gaze meaningfully and smile. Um, well, I can tell you what she said, but it doesn't really make any sense. That's why I assume Brock says, I kind of agree with Brock. This is kind of a bunch of nonsense. She said, uh, that I, you one pursued by many, but not by the one you pursue. What does that even mean? So... She said, soon your, soon your path will be clear. You've long been blind, but soon the light will reveal your true path. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. I already know what my true path is. I don't know. And then she said, you will face the darkness with one who loves you. But you alone will walk steadfast into the abyss, knowing that they will not be far behind. I don't even know what that would mean. I don't know anybody like that. She kind of eyes at Siegfried somewhat about that part of the prophecy. He's not looking at her. Hildy, you mustn't worry about it for the time being, okay? Chosh is going to sort of do a, uh, a, a small little half-concealed like fist bump, <laughs> very confident that he is the one referred to Can in I this perceive prophecy. that? Can I? Uh, uh, no, it's not hard to perceive. You see it. And you, also see, you also see Robin go like IU and just kind of does like the hand, the fist into the hand thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, so then we're going to go to the next prophecy. Who would like to go next? Yeah, Chosh will put his... Put his uh, little armored gauntlet on Hildy's shoulder timidly and say, tag me in. And, and then, uh, she kind of like puts her hand in your, your, your I thought hand. How this like, is really, wor- <laughs> I don't know if that really, <laughs> she kind of, she kind of like lacks it. So really puts her hand on top of your hand, like, all right, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> she wouldn't say whatever. No, I know, but the, it was, a, it was the motion. <laughs> so you go in, Josh. Yeah. Just, okay. Josh, you see the similar sight the drifter saw until you reach this alcove. So, she offers, she holds out her gnarled, 
cronish hand for you for payment. What do you give her? Josh will reach into his backpack, his little back sack, and uh, pick out a uh, flute and say, this flute belonged to a very important woman at the monastery where I was trained. She takes it. Yeah. She, um, she holds it up. She breaks off a tiny little piece of it, drops it in. She takes it and hangs it somewhere just to keep. She then goes over to the cauldron and beckons you to watch. The liquid continues to bubble and warp itself. Chosh, you see not yourself at all in this cauldron. You see Siegfried in the regalia of the champion of the faith. This image becomes you. She speaks. You walk a noble path where other lesser men have failed and will fail. Suddenly a helmet is forced on your face in this image. It's Sir Frederick's. Yet you hold your head high till the end, facing diligently every challenge you meet with the assurance of your righteousness. You see diligence become greed become righteousness, who becomes you. A journey of brothers, like those who came before you, though not in blood, but kinship. A flash of many images, an emaciated man, a bleeding eye, your paladin school, two winged figures flying into the dark. However, you will succeed where others have failed. You see yourself again, smiling in the regalia of the champion of the faith. Your eyes are closed. A true champion of the faith. Basked not in light and the adorations as others before you. Your eyes open. They're empty holes. But instead, in the dark, in obscurity, dutiful till the very end, your reflection crumbles inward on itself like ash. Uh, <laughs> wow. Um, a um, very wobbly chosh <laughs> stumbles out uh, from the cave and... If anyone approaches to talk to him, he sort of waves them away. Josh, darling! No, it's, it's fine. And he goes into his tent. Drifter's going to walk in behind Josh to the tent. Sit with him. Okay. My gaze on wordly, but... Robin gets up kind of aggressively, as if like she can take this challenge. She goes in. And she's in there for a while. She comes out. She looks at you. Lola, she speaks only to you, really. She says, I don't really know what to make of what she said. What did she say to you? Well, she said some things that made sense. She said I was a fighter till the bitter end. <laughs> she said it was in war and love and, and with myself, I guess. She said my own prowess will be my greatest curse. She said for to lose, you have to have. And that I would lose everything. That but means, too, that you would have everything. I guess she kind of said the same. She said, but only in loss will you truly have what you desire. I don't, I can't really make heads or tails of that. That is quite curious. I look directly in her eyes, put a hand on her shoulder. We'll be all right. You know that. We're all together. She smiles and she's like, yeah, you're right, Lola. You always know best. <laughs> Thank you, dearie. I guess I should go in, shouldn't I? I guess so. You know me, I do trust these kinds of things. I mean, I, I am a wizard, so... <laughs> Siegfried looks at you as you go in. He hasn't really paid attention to other people, kind I of thinking back. about himself. And he, uh, he smiles at you, encouraging you. I glance Wait. back and see him smiling, and I grin, hopefully, and stride confidently up the hill and into the cavern. Lola, you're in the same room. The crone holds out her hand expectantly. What do you give her? I look around, see the gifts which she's received in the past, and from Edgar, my loyal bag, <laughs> I retrieve the doll I picked up in Eden 5. Okay. It's strange, and it's unlike anything I've ever seen. She takes it, and she looks at it. She smiles at you in a strange, knowing way. She pulls off a little piece of it drops it into the cauldron, and she takes it, and she puts it not, she doesn't hang it up, she puts it on like a shelf, as if it was a prized possession. I smile. And she smiles at you, and she gestures to the cauldron. You see an image of a nurse, a teacher, a mother holding a child. She speaks. You walk a sad road, 
consumed by loss, a profound loss and emptiness that will rend your heart worse than the death of a child. Demonic black and red tendrils curl all about the image, tearing the child away. A cold, raspy laugh fills the air. You alone will believe you bear the weight of this failing, forever cursed to wonder what could have been when faced by your barren legacy. A vision of an imperious woman who carries on her shoulder an enormous load. She appears lost, looking for something. Wait, I see something more. You see a fork in the road, a divergent path, the rougher one of redemption. The easier, lined with baser desires. You see a tombstone, its details obscured. Both end at a grave, with tears shed only by a few. But your choice will make all the difference. The image fades. I turn and walk out the cave. I walk down the hill. And I look at Siegfried and say, It's your turn, my dear. He gets up. He smiles. A full smile, not just a little bit. Shows all his beautiful teeth. And then he walks in confidently. So Drifter is going to come walking out of the tent with Chosh around his arm, mm-hmm. laughing. And, and as he walks out, saying, so he says to the broad, you go give her a piece of your mind. I'll hold your monkey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that one. That's a great one. That's a Chosh. That was Chosh. It was Chosh. I know. Chosh. That was, that was, I, I understand Brock. Brock, you were not involved in that joke. I, I know the joke. You say that every time. You go and say the same joke every bar, That's, every woman. You know, Brock does have a point. Drifter, you might try to freshen your material a bit. It's the first time I've heard it. I thought it was great. Yeah, I know. Chosh is the pinnacle of comedy. All right. You're all kind of sitting about the fire, not really wanting to discuss what you learned, but in a way, tangentially discussing what you learned. You've kind of thinking about why you joined the Nightingale Watch and how the path is leading you now. Drifter will actually go first and just say, you know how these oracles go. You know, I don't It doesn't mean it's going to happen. Don't worry. Rock says to you, Drifter, you never, uh, I thought you were going to be gone by now, uh. Why'd you even join us in the first place, huh? You know, in, in my work, a, a steady job is hard to find. It, this certainly pays well, and it's got its moments. Didn't seem like he was paying you until recently. What was all that about? I owed him a favor. What happened? You know, I, I'm i not proud of the work I used to do. And uh, I tried to pull a fast one over Siegfried. <laughs> Didn't go well, as you could tell. Yeah, I'd imagine. <laughs> So I paid him back What'd my do- time. What'd you do to him? I'm not going to get into that with you. All right. Fair enough. Drifter, Brock, just having asked you some deeply personal questions, you were thinking about the time you actually joined the Nightingale Watch. What happened? I had just snuck in through the window of Siegfried's apartment, tiptoed through his living room, up to his bedroom, opened a drawer where I found a knife. Beautiful well-ornamented knife. Something that had grown familiar in my life. When all of a sudden, I heard a noise behind me. And I turned around. It was unfortunate for you. Siegfried had just re-entered the apartment. And he saw you, and he drew a sword. No need for that, stranger. I'm not here to do you harm. He says, I saw you before, Vagabond, eyeing up that dagger while we were in the bar before. Yes, you see, uh, my client, he offered me a good amount of money for this knife. Little sneak thief like that? Just stealing a knife from a man? Doesn't make a lot of sense. Why did you want that knife? You know, I never asked him. Well, it's not my business to know. It's my business, though. Well, how do you want to play this? Drifter asks as he puts his, hovers his hand over his gun. He eyes you and your gun, and he smiles at you, and he says, How about we... Play for it, instead. What'd you have in mind? Well, there's an old game we used to play, where I'm from. He says, he holds out his hand for the knife. Come on, I won't bite. Drifter will apprehensively hand it over. He takes it. He gestures to you, to a table, for both of you to sit down. He takes the knife and he says, Here, it's a simple game, you've probably heard of it. You take the knife and you stab it between your fingers as fast as possible. To see how fast you can go, and for how long. 
Winner keeps the knife. How about that? We'll make it easy. I'm not going to give you the knife, but I'll play fair. You win, you go free. I won't call the police. It'll be the end of it. I win, though. Men like you, you don't have fear. I can see it in your eyes. You join me, if I win, for a few jobs. Deal? No drifter's gonna say, I don't. I guess I don't have much of a choice. I'll play your game. Well, let's hope you're a good gambler, at least. You begin the game, but we know how it ends. What about, uh... Lola, you've been here longer than everybody. Why you still stick around, anyway? Of course you'd think that way, Brock. I mean, I mean, Siegfried's a guy. You're you know. the perfect mercenary. Always giving your time for a coin. Hey, I mean, I get the job done. Sure you do. Well, we what about do. you? What about you? I've been here for longer than I can think off the top of my head. Well, it's been several years. I'm here to a debt that I can never repay. I'm here for... I'm here for the family that I never had growing up. That, to me, is something that has an endless value. And uh, I'm willing to fight to keep this family going for as long as it can. Lola, you're thinking about the time you joined the Nightingale Watch. Tell me about it. As any good story begins, it was a dark and stormy night in the cottage I once lived long ago. And I remember in my lonely little room, in my lonely chamber, I heard the knocking of my door amidst the thunder. And I could tell that it started strong, but as it was desperate for an answer, it grew weak. And from my books, I rose and came to the door and saw a young man, really a boy, shriveled at my door, bleeding. He seemed out of his head. He cried for help, and hurriedly I rushed him in, though I was unused to strangers. I was used to, unused to any company at all after my aunt had died, my only friend for a very long time. And so I, I brought him into my bed, I dressed his wounds. He seemed afflicted with much more than physical pain, but rather a curse that, fortunately, in my private studies, I'd known how to address. And over the course of some days, I tended to him. And this man was Siegfried, right? <laughs> of course this man was Siegfried. In these days of... This golden-haired boy. In these days, unsure if he would live or die, flickering between life and death... You maintained this watch, this vigil. All throughout this time, you would hear a similar chorus of birds that you would come to recognize as nightingales, keeping you company through these hard hours. Until eventually, through sheer force of will, he pulled through with your help. He was eternally grateful for that. And I was eternally grateful for knowing him. For in the days to pass, we would talk and we would get to know one another. He was a charming, brave young lad who had so much in store for the world, not only for his own life, but for what he could see for the future. He spoke to you of a new world. He did. Would be free of such violence. Kindness would reign and people would finally be looked after. He asked you, someone who embodied this, to help join him on this mission. I had no means to oppose this request. I was alone in my cottage in the middle of the woods, in the northern wilds of Chimera. I was alone, and yet here was this young human, so full of hope, so full of faith for the future, that of course I'd join him. He speaks to you in this vision in a conversation you remember. He says, And so what would we call our new merry band? Of people to uh, look out for each other. The little guy. <laughs> what should we call it? For all of the outcasts of the world. Yeah. <laughs> like you and me. It together. is a nice thought, isn't it? It is. Well, there are lots of birds living in these parts, you know. Oh, yes? I don't know if you're an ornithologist in any, or any way. Or... I can't say that I am. 
nor am I, but they they sing such a pretty song. They're nightingales. And do you know what a group of night... night and Sigrid, do you know what a group of nightingales are called? No, what are they? They're called a watch. They watch over all of us. So, I don't know. Wouldn't it be quaint if we called ourselves the Nightingale Watch? <laughs> really strikes fear into the heart of our enemies, doesn't it? I like it. <laughs> it needn't strike fear. Comfort, I prefer. I agree. <laughs> and to that, I raise my cup of tea, and we clink. And that was the day the Nightingale Watch was formed. The conversation turns to Chosh. It's Robin asking you, Chosh. She says, So, uh, Chosh, you've been here a little bit longer than me. How'd you get here, exactly? I mean, I know how I got here. And he, she kind of looks at Hildy, and then she looks back really quick. So, uh, you don't really seem to like Siegfried all that much. Why do you stick around, anyway? I have a job to do. We all have a job to do. I can't not do it. Chosh, you start thinking about the time you joined the Nightingale Watch. Tell me about it. So... I think the scene opens up, not with Siegfried at all, but actually leaving Chosh's boarding school. Most of the students, when they graduate, they go and they leave and they join an order, but Chosh didn't. He stuck around for a while. Uh, he could have taken an assignment, but that was his home for a while and he didn't have anywhere else to go. And when, after a while, the Angel of Diligence specifically... Uh, sent for him and asked for him to represent him on Siegfried's mission. And uh, we see Chosh saying goodbye to uh, Headmaster Cromwell and, uh, and one of his uh, closest teachers, Mother Margot. He's got his things all packed up. He's wearing his suit of armor. And uh, he, uh, he's saying his final goodbyes to them. Margot says to you, Chosh, you've done so well here. We're sad to see you go. We liked having you in so many of our classes, even the ones you weren't supposed to be taking. You took them so many times. Josh, such a diligent boy. We got you something, actually. Here. It's all that remains of the music department after that little fiasco you had before. We thought that you would like to have it as a parting gift. I'm only sorry that more young men and women won't know the joy of the choir. Yes, I know, Josh. Please take it. On your mission, we're so happy for you that you're off, finally. She gives you a flute. Thank you, Father Cromwell, Mother Margot. They nod and say, yes, yes. Yeah. Now off you go. Off you go. They are happy to see you go. Yeah. <laughs> they kind of think you're an unlucky boy. You head out towards your new mission, and you meet him. He's there with a couple of people. A half-elf, half-spider woman in a fine dress. A kind of, a kind of crass half-orc man with a guitar and hammer. And you see your new boss, Siegfried, a smiling youth, barely a year older than yourself, beautiful hair, beautiful face, a human boy who doesn't cover his face. And he smiles at you. He says, well, welcome aboard, Chosh. I'm so happy to have another person from the Academy with me. I was beginning to think I wouldn't see anyone again. Chosh will uh, sort of eye up the group and look down at his flute, and then he'll look up at this uncovered human, half spider, half elf, and a unsavory looking fellow, and immediately have this sort of visceral, this isn't right reaction. Siegfried claps his hand on your back. He says, so it's a fine job you've got. I mean, you're going to be helping me. I'm apparently the champion of the faith. Who would have guessed it? A human, no less. I mean, we went to the same school and everything. It could have been you or me. I mean, what are the chances? And then we get to be bosom companions again. I feel it's almost like fate's drawn us together. Don't you think so, Josh? This is... This is where we do God's work? Oh, yes, definitely so. So, Josh, uh, are you ready to set out? I see you have a flute there. You play? I never really got to learn all that much. Some sort of catastrophe happened at the academy and burned down before I could really take any music classes, unfortunately. But here, let me... Would you mind? Um... Play us a tune. Oh, it would be delightful to hear a tune, especially from a flute. I've heard so much of the guitar recently. Oh, <laughs> Brock eyes you and he says, Now, I know there's only one cure for that. 
and he starts strumming the guitar. No, 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 no. It's, it's certainly not more guitar. We've tried that cure before. It hasn't worked. Please, Josh. Lola is my name. It is a pleasure to make your acquaintance. I would love to hear you play that flute. Uh, Josh is going to quickly stuff the flute into uh, his bag oh. and say, I, I, I couldn't. I'd have to, I'd have to, I couldn't take off my helmet. Not here. Perhaps for another time, then. Well, come on, Josh. You're among friends. You can't hide anything that we don't have. He smiles at you. Yes, Josh. We've all got the same bits. It's no problem at all. It's not about hiding. Uh, Brock kind of, like, looks at your abdomen <laughs> spider parts and just kind of, like, like raises an eyebrow about that comment. But anyway. <laughs> you needn't be ashamed, Josh. It has nothing to do with shame. It has something. It's, it's modesty. It's what's right. We can't just... My ancestors... Ugh, I guess you don't understand. Let's just go. All right. Well, she he kind of comes over to you, Lola, and says, Don't worry, I'll, I'll wear him down over time. He'll, I'm sure he'll open up. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Like a tin can. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, Josh, it is lovely to make your acquaintance, and I'm glad you're on board with us. Welcome to the Nightingale Watch. All right, we're back into real time. We return back to the campfire where you've all been reflecting upon your past. Finally, Siegfried emerges from the cavern. He parts the curtain, and it's immediately apparent that something is off. He stares blankly outwards. Siegfried, dear, is everything all right? Are you okay? The others begin rushing up towards him. I assume you all follow. I, yeah. mean, I imagine yes. I'm the first to leave to greet him. You do. He, see in his, you see in his eyes a sort of farawayness. You see a coldness. And emptiness. And then Hildy kind of starts tugging at his clothes. And she, he sa- she says, Um, Siegfried, are you all... Siegfried looks down at her. His eyes aren't cold. They're flaring up, almost red with anger. There's a sudden movement. Many things happen at once. Siegfried reaches for his sword. Robin sees what's happening, pushes Hildy aside. But there's a flash and the slinging of a sword. You hear screaming. Blood is gushing everywhere. You see Robin's arm fall to the ground. You see her screaming as she lays on the ground, bleeding. Hildy looks terrified. Brock says, what, what the hell? What's gotten into you? He goes and he tries to tackle Siegfried. Again, in one swipe, he cuts right through Brock. Everyone, roll for initiative. No! No! Get your roll 19. Roll the 12. Uh, 12. Drifter, you get to move first. What do you do? Brock is been cut in twain he li- he's in two pieces on the ground in two pieces through the center drifter is going to sprint in front of hildy she seems okay and stand between her and siegfried do you want to do any aggressive actions no josh what do you do josh is going to take out his longsword and use divine smite on siegfried roll 18 holy crap that hits. So that's 13 damage total. You bring your sword down onto Siegfried. It slices through him. You see blood gush from the wound. The divine energy sort of burns him at the time. Lola, it's your turn. What do you do? I'm awestruck. If I were disturbed in our last... I, I'm, I'm completely awestruck and I don't know what to do. But I, I run to Brock's body and I fall to the ground... There's nothing I can do. I look. There's nothing I can do to repair this, is there? No. I sob. <laughs> but I I jerk my head to Siegfried and I cast Peace Browned. I'm sorry, that actually fails. You cast your spell. You see his arm. I cry, no, Siegfried, what are you doing? You cast your spell. You see his arm push towards the sheath with his sword, but he fights against it. He swings at Chosh. Stop! Chosh, the uh, the blade swings at you. He misses you, but it slices right through your sword. He stares at you all with eyes that seem almost possessed. Drifter, what do you do? Uh, first, Drifter's going to look into Hildy and and bring her over to Robin on the ground and look at Hildy and say, Look at me. Can you help her? She, she just nods. Okay. And then Drifter's going to turn to... Siegfried, pull out his gun and aim for his arm, for his hand. Roll. You can burn a grip point if you want to shoot an extra bullet. Yes. Okay, yeah, just roll the hit. That's 14 plus 
plus proficiency. That hits. Okay. You. Uh, this is the hand holding the sword, I assume? Yes, naturally. Nine. He drops his sword, then. It clatters to the ground. Uh, could you have a time to, to, to run to the sword and try and grab it? You could try. But he's going to get to attack you. With what? He's a dagger. Oh, okay. Well, worth it. Eleven. You're, you're unable to grab the sword. He swings at you wildly with the dagger, and while it doesn't hit you, it, you have to dodge backwards to make sure you don't get sliced. He kind of reels at the bullet wound in his arm. He clutches at the wound. He looks at you all, and suddenly there's a burst of light from him. All of you roll a constitution save, except for Chosh. It's 13. It's a one. Drifter, you are blasted into a nearby tree. You hit it. You fall to the ground unconscious. That's fair. Lola, the blast is blinding. You don't get pushed, but you can't see and hear momentarily. You're on the ground. Chosh, your shield with your enhanced reflexes blocks the entirety of the blast. Everyone else seems to have fallen over. The artifacts on Siegfried's neck have broken their containers. These viscous liquids seem to be melding together in strange shapes. Siegfried seems to himself be floating somewhat off the ground. Luminous light envelops him. From his back sprout two pairs of beautiful, golden, angelic wings. He turns his face to you, all of you, and he says, We are not but a kingdom of fools, following a false god and his angels. Plots laid by deceitful gods, compelling us to follow their drunken prophecies. Long I've stumbled blind in pursuit of their lies but no longer. If fate decrees I cannot prove to be their champion, I will prove their villain and hate the lavish pleasures of their idle reign. He looks to you, Chosh, and only you. He holds out his hand as if inviting you, and he says, Chosh, please. He takes your silence as an answer. I see. The choice has already been made for you. He picks up his sword. He beats his new, powerful wings and starts flying off into the distance. You finally come to, Drifter. It's a mess. Drifter stumbles toward the battlefield to assess. Hildy is crouched over Robin, unable to reattach the arm, but able to stop the bleeding, and she's stabilized. She's a bit woozy and kind of out of sorts. She doesn't really realize where she is at all. Hildy is besides herself with grief. She goes over to Brock's corpse. And over she, which I've been sobbing uncontrollably. She goes over and she puts her hands on it and light starts pouring from them. She starts chanting that same incantation that she once chanted for Chosh. You hear Robin stir feebly. She says, no, no, no. Hildy, he's died too many times. She gets up. She starts waddling over to her as she's casting the spell, pushes her aside. This causes a flash of light, a blinding flash of light again. Eventually your eyesight and senses recover. Brock still lays on the ground, just as dead as before. Hildy gets up and she says, is everyone all right? I can't see anything. No, you foolish girl. Nothing is all right. Nothing will ever be right again. Lola. No, get off of me, Drifter. Nothing is right. How can you see Drifter in this darkness? What? I can't see a thing. She fumbles around. The rest of you can see perfectly fine. I slowly get up and I, I place my hands on her shoulders. And I kneel. Eye to eye with this small halfling girl. I say, Hildy. Hildy, don't you see what's going on? Don't you see what's right before you?
Join us again for another exciting episode of Tabletop Theater in our second act, Fall. Hey guys, it's your DM, Jacob. I just wanted to thank you for joining us through our first act, Summer, for this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the story. If you have and want to support the podcast, the best way to do this is to spread the word or tweet about it using the hashtag Tabletop Theater. And be sure to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Theater Tabletop. And most importantly, look forward to Act 2, Fall. You make it hard to dislike Siegfried. He's so great. Um, <laughs> like my character is built around disliking, like just a really nice, genuine guy. 